Hello lovely podcast people, um, this is just a quick intro to a guest podcast I did with Stuart Aiken from LTB and uh, in this podcast we we start with some stuff about um, rapid fat loss, I feel like I talk about it a lot but it's just an area that's being badly misrepresented often, obviously I've kind of given some good guidance and protocols on it so just people ask me those questions so some stuff on that I think it's I think it's new to lots of you who have listened to my other stuff apologies if not and then I go on to some stuff it, it's quite a broad ranging subject it's a very radio listen I guess and um, some advice for new practitioners to the industry and then we discuss BMI the dreaded BMI discussion, and then obviously get into the realms of Hayes health at every size. Do you know what? It is something I need to record a good podcast on the discussion because there's so much misinformation about that and even the crossover that often happens with Hayes and kind of intuitive eating, non-diet stuff. I still see people who should know better posting rubbish almost straw man's almost misinformation about intuitive eating calling it out because they don't understand what intuitive eating is uh, or what it was intended for those kind of things just muppets who should know better like people who i'm like you're clever you're intelligent stop misleading people uh by misrepresenting what i guess we call is the other side because intuitive eating often the people on that side because so few people sit in the middle you know we teach them a new graduates I mean, new students, I mean, new certified nutritionists to be in the middle, you know, using these good tools where they should be applied, but not to just be extremists who can only use one method or tool or whatever. But yeah, so I need to do some stuff on the intuitive eating stuff, that being misrepresented. But obviously, again, the discussions around, you know, simply seeing weight as really just the sole factor. I've mentioned this before, but people who just cross from one extreme where they're all they viewed people was as the weight on the scales or their BMI, like doctors, surgeons, idiots with books. Uh, and then now it's like, oh, non-diet, diet culture. I would never tell anyone to intentionally lose weight. Muppets. Anyway, I didn't go this hard actually in the podcast, but uh, there's some good discussion. So I hope you enjoy it as ever. Thank you so much to those of you who have recently been reviewing the podcast on Spotify in particular. Literally just click on not another nutrition podcast, just hit the star review. It just takes like two and a half seconds. Uh, and I would love you to do that. That'd be so, be so grateful. But yeah, enjoy this one. Hope it's good. Much love. This is the Lift The Bar Podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Stuart Aiken and today I talk to Martin McDonald, founder of the Mac Nutrition Collective. I always enjoy talking to Martin. He is a deep thinker and someone who has helped push nutrition education to an incredible level with his Mac Nutrition University course. We discuss his recent talk about rapid fat loss at the Mac Nutrition Conference, how to use rapid fat loss with the clients who it makes sense for, his podcast and how he chooses his wisdom topics, and what the research says about BMI and health. If you'd like to find out more about Lift the Bar, 
and how we can help you get a few more clients and make a bit more money so you make a real career out of personal training, head to liftthebar.com to check out our 14-day free trial. You'll get instant access to courses on topics like nutrition coaching, as well as webinars by the likes of Martin. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy today's episode. Martin McDonald, welcome back onto the Lift the Bar podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be back. <clears throat> Lovely to have you back. I want to start this off talking about um, your recent highly regarded compassionate approaches for life improvement conference. Mm. Now, you spoke about a subject that sounds incredibly interesting, compassionate approaches to rapid weight loss. Mm. Could you just give us a high-level overview of what you covered during this and what some of the recent research says regarding rapid fat loss? Mm. Yeah, so it was it was an interesting one, actually, because of the three other talks that we had. It was very, um, I suppose, in a way, chalk and cheese. You know, a discussion on intuitive eating, a discussion on body image, a discussion on... Uh, binge eating, intuitive eating, uh, yeah. So really the three speakers we had, um, Dr. Nadia Craddock on body image, Helen West on intuitive eating and Sarah DeSange John binge eating, they're all in, they all mix in, in worlds where non-diet approaches, you know, some of their colleagues might refer to themselves as like anti-diet, which I know some of them don't particularly like because it's a bit strong, perhaps, a way of wording things. But being, you know, non-diet approaches being a bit more soft way of putting it. And the reason I had them speak is because they are evidence-based. And, you know, Helen's talk in particular was like, in, where intentional weight loss and intuitive eating meet, i.e. you don't, these two things don't have to be, uh, it's not like this town isn't big enough for the both of us. Like they can both exist in the world and they're both appropriate at different times. But unfortunately, people in the intuitive eating world are going, no one should ever diet. Diets are bad for everyone's health. Like those people exist. They are big on Instagram. You know, certain doctors have jumped on those bandwagons. And so, but but the, those three guys were all you know, talking about stuff within diet culture that maybe we we as a fitness industry in particular need to be more aware of. So for then me to stand up and talk about something that even the fitness industry has a trouble with me talking about, which is rapid approaches to fat loss, because, and, and it, interesting, like a bit of a shout out to LTB. LTB really is the reason that I um, got so big into this and I don't know if you know that do you is it linked to the first of our seminar yeah yeah okay you do cool I remember it so yeah back in 2015 the story behind it is is I was basically coming to speak um at that I don't know if you call it a conference it was like the it was like a big Christmas do wasn't it It was amazing a whole day of speaking to you guys but knowing that lots of you are well informed and well read and well meaning as well well, actually, the well-meaning thing is what really helped me. But that that you would, you know, that the whole movement of LTB, like trying to be, uh, do things the right way, etc. But also, and and not, you know, 
yeah, just giving bad advice, like you're educating trainers to be better. And, and so coming to that, I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to wow these guys in the same way that I normally wow audiences. I'm not going to be able to go, guess what? Carbs don't make you fat. And it like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, I, I'm potentially doing a talk for a really big global company in January. And I literally will be able to rock up and say that. And they're like, no way mind blown I'm like oh my goodness it's like January 2022 and you still think bread makes you fat but so the the whole point was is I really really sat and thought like what is going to be helpful for this audience and actually I and I obviously observed within the group and everything and it was like you know what I think these people are scared of anything you know you see people moderation moderate this small deficits you know constantly and while those things are absolutely fine it's also reducing your toolbox like I remember when I found out that meal timing wasn't such a big factor within fat loss it helped me when I found out that you didn't have to eat little late at night early in my career it helped me help more people and that's what I wanted to bring um to to you guys so you know it's gone on and on and on and now I'm sort of People are always talking to me like and asking me questions about aggressive diets. But to fit into this, <coughs> this conference, it was also talking about doing rapid fat loss the right way and certain, thing <coughs> sorry, certain things to consider. One of the things, for instance, uh, uh, there's a really recent paper. Oh, goodness. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to remember the uh, author now that I've said it out loud. Um, it might be semen s-e-i-m-o-n uh they they released a paper in 2019 on rapid fat loss uh they don't call it rapid fat loss or aggressive dieting they call it very low energy diets in postmenopausal women something or other and um they released the data from moderate energy restriction versus rapid over 12 months and seemingly showed what all of the research that I've been talking about for years and years um, and you know that I've summarized from the previous 20 years that we've known about very low energy diets and um, essentially the greater adherence when the deficit is massive uh, lower hunger scores when the deficit is massive um, greater clinically meaningful weight loss maintained at 12 months in the group that use rapid versus moderate energy restriction. So, and this is what I talked about. It's like, when you hear that stuff, it's mind-boggling. But when you understand the basics of ketosis, for instance, being the very easy way to explain the reduction in hunger, but I do think there are other reasons, um, it, it makes more sense. And when you start understanding motivation and you know, what keeps people going. It's, you know, seeing results is super motivating for people. Therefore, okay, that's interesting. When you start to understand that metabolic adaptation isn't worse when you diet faster and everyone does seem to gain some weight after a rapid, um, and no, so after any weight loss, any, you know, how, no matter how moderate you are, how, you know, behavior change focused you are, everyone seems to gain some weight the more weight you've lost during that diet, the less you weigh at the end. Like the the upward curve is not a, a steeper gradient when you've lost weight quicker. So therefore you end up in a better place having lost more weight in that initial stage. So, you know, giving a summary overview for people of that. Now, they then released two and three year data 
and in these in these women and there was some discussion around bone mineral density uh, or bone mineral content and so that there was an area of there of com- a compassionate approach what things do we need to look at what do we need to care about in these instances so i kind of delved into the data on that and realistically came up with this it actually doesn't seem to be a, a big issue uh, we should care about it we maybe should recommend dexa scans we can do that super easily for clients now but the other thing that I talked about within these studies is they don't then do what we do is throw the kitchen sink at people. And, and I mean that in a positive way in that we don't just go, we don't have to do studies on our clients. We do everything we can to help them. We don't have to control one variable and go, I know this other thing would help, but I can't do that because I need a study where I can control variables. We can go, getting your sleep right is going to really help. Elevating protein higher is really going to help. Um, can, you know, consuming these supplements is really going to help. Resistance training, impact, which we know, you know, impact increases osteoblastic activity. So we can benefit bone health through our exercise programs, which go alongside our nutrition programs. We don't have to do one or the other. Um, so, you know, there was a discussion, uh, you know, around that point of uh, just understanding that that's one of the... the uh, potential contraindications with rapid fat loss. Um, But one of the funny things that came out was there is often a thing of if you diet rapidly, if you you aggressively diet, you're more more at risk of eating disorders or binge eating episodes or this, that and the other. But again, I just presented the data like I don't have any skin in the game. Like I don't have a, a rapid fat loss program people can buy off me. Like I don't care if people do or don't. Um, you should do a. You should have a client-centered approach. You should go through the discussion. But if you were to to go on paper, on data, on really objective measures, you would do rapid fat loss with every single client who had a BMI thirty and above, because the data clearly shows it beats moderate energy restriction every single time. Um, which I find challenging, even to say that out loud to you. Uh, but that's what the data says. Like, it's almost unequivocal. Um, but people don't read this data. They just go, Herbalife is bad. You know, this stupid Michael Mosley releasing this 800-calorie diet book is bad. And I agree with both those things. Like, Herbalife is profit-centered, 100%. Um, Michael Mosley is, is releasing stuff in a book form which requires... Like in the studies I talk about, they'll require they'll they'll give them counselling. They'll meet with a dietitian. They'll they'll the best ones do behaviour change stuff along the way. They'll provide some support and some check ins and even social support alongside it, which is what we should do as nutritionists, personal trainers, coaches, whoever. But he's just releasing a book and going, yeah, do this. You'll you'll cure your diabetes in 12 weeks, eat 800 calories, boom, go away, bye, thanks very much for the paycheck. Like, it's terrible. It's not the way things should be. It's not the way, I mean, he's not a real doctor. Um, he's never actually practiced as a doctor. He was a journalist as soon as he did his degree. But, you know, he is there for the money and the fame and the media. So that's why people don't like this stuff, because that's what they see as low calorie diets they don't see it as the evidence-based method that can be applied to clients and coached and supported and then the last bit of the compassionate side of it was just you can 
change the outcome of stuff through having conversations. And that was a really cool thing that came up in this conference of, of like body image, the evidence-based strategies to improve body image or, you know, get people on, on the right journey. Like a lot of it is just starting the conversation. And I've said this about CBT, for instance, is why some of these therapies work is because you take the first step to opening dialogue and giving something time like you can run around in your day-to-day -day worrying and building problems up in your head that aren't really there but you're just oh I'm so stressed I don't I've got all this stuff to do but you go you go along to your CBT session and you take an hour out of your life to write those things down and to think about them logically without external factors and busyness and interruption and noise and you go what how do I solve this what can I do for this how can I order these issues and suddenly you come out and you go oh I feel so much better oh, I can cope with that more and some of it was just you didn't necessarily need something magic or even someone else <coughs> a therapist with you you just almost needed a bit like having a personal trainer or a coach or a nutritionist you just needed someone to stop stop you in your tracks and just make you focus in on these things and just help you work through them out loud or on paper and writing them down so I've kind of given quite a long answer there sorry uh, I wouldn't have expected anything less Martin I'm not going to ask you on the podcast and expect you to give me 60 second responses <laughs> to questions like that yeah, good, see just yeah. to wrap that the, the yeah. rapid fat loss section up before we move mm. on if there's a trainer listening to that yeah. and they're like right I uh, this sounds like something that would work well for some of the clients that I've maybe chosen more moderate <laughs> approaches with just yeah. now where are best to go you've done lots of work on this but is there a best place to go to learn more yeah, like the, the the thing, I would probably start with my podcast. Um, it, the first within the first roughly ten episodes of my podcast, I was doing my own little rapid fat loss phase, and therefore it just because of the way I do my podcast is anything and everything whenever I want, as it comes to mind. Well, that's what it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, I never follow my own rules and start putting too much pressure on myself. But but I did a few episodes there which would probably be really helpful for people to go and get. They're quite short for me. Um, and then from there, they can then go, I reference some other podcasts where, where I've spoken a lot more, like Danny Lennon's mm. uh, podcast. I think I did a decent amount, uh, and one, on, one or two on Steve Hall's. So they can go and learn more um, from there. And like realistically, using those, I'm, I might release this talk publicly that that I did at, um, on my own website I'm I'm thinking of creating some sort of calculator as well because I know some people struggle with the numbers side of things I can kind of see the numbers in my head and I can talk about them on podcasts but unless just I know a lot of people do like their steps whilst listening to me but they just so they don't have a pen and paper to like write out like oh you know one percent body weight times that by seven thousand seven hundred like so I want to maybe release a, a sort of calculator that really people can just plug in some numbers and just press a button and then psh, there you go. That's what he's talking about here. This is the yes. approach that I could take. Um, but it's always good. I don't want to just release a calculator because it does need the coaching aspect. Like I know like you're very big on the coaching and the communication. Like th the numbers don't, don't work without that. 
Um, I mean, they could, but they won't work long term. Um, and all you're doing really is giving something cookie cutter, which I think most people are of the opinion we don't like. Um, so, yeah, the, I, I would prefer them to do the kind of mulling over and just listen to me talking and in, in situations like this of like, OK, these are some of the things I need to consider um, before starting someone in those numbers. So you've given me a nice uh, transition into a question I have about your podcast, um, mm. which for anybody who doesn't know is just called Not Another Nutrition Podcast. Find it yeah. everywhere. So yeah. you release episodes on that, which are not directly related to nutrition, called Wisdom, mm. where you yeah. cover everything from cancel, cancel culture to male yeah. pattern baldness, as an example. Yeah. In the introduction to one of these episodes, Martin, you say, <laughs> here's another one of these which makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Why do you push yourself to discuss all these topics which aren't directly nutrition-focused? Oh, wow. Um, so, <clears throat> I think one reason. There's a few reasons. Um the way you've asked the question, what I sort of heard was, um, you know, why do you push yourselves? Why do you push yourself to do it? And I could, it would be a lie if I said this, but I sort of feel like some people would answer this like, I like to put myself outside my comfort zone as personal growth, blah, blah, blah. That is not me. <laughs> like, I, I, that's not me. Um, I think I think just the way I am, I like to learn and whatever. I, like I get personal growth in all different ways. I'm always I'm forever challenging myself by reading the narrative of people I disagree with and 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 seeking to understand rather than argue all the time. So that's my personal growth. The re the reason I do these right is because I th this is the stuff that I feel I feel uncomfortable saying it right. I think in many ways I'm quite wise. I think. Wisdom doesn't always have to be action as well. So I think there can often be a thing of like, you know, well, if you were wise, you wouldn't do X, Y, Z. And it's like, you know, you can almost be a bit like, I can give you, I think I'm a deep thinker in many ways. I think deeply about lots of different things. Um, I'm forever thinking. And uh, th just through, I guess, life experience, I've been a teacher, I've been a lecturer. I, you know, through MNU, I've become a mentor to thousands of people and have supported them. And like, honestly, it's absolutely bonkers. And it's like, at this graduation, I, I literally spent the whole day crying. It was just like, I was a teeny bit sleep deprived and run down, but just people going, like one guy came up to me who, he must have graduated three to five years ago. And he doesn't even work in the industry. Like, he was sort of a career changer. Like, he likes nutrition. Good guy. And he was like, people keep asking me, like, why do I keep coming to these events? And he was like, because, and he was like, it's because MNU was so much more for me than a nutrition course. He was like, it changed me as a person. And I'll be forever grateful for that. And, and then there's the community side of things. But I remember conversations with him at, like, probably his graduation at the after party just talking about life and and you know stuff like children that's another big thing for me is like I you probably know I've worked in creches for so long like I love babies I love parenting like even before I was a parent I loved 
the idea of being a good parent. And like the, the, this is kind of the second. So I think I have some wisdom to bring to the table and some just some discussion of deeper, deeper topics. And I think I'm good at being balanced. Um, I'm good at seeing both sides of the coin. I see myself in the fitness industry as someone who can bring challenging topics to the table like intuitive eating, non-diet approaches, weight stigma. Like I remember threads inside the LTB Facebook group like probably six years ago where we were discussing, guys, if the data says that 95% of people fail on diets and regain weight, like are we are we bad people i don't know if you remember that i can i can i won't say his name but i can even remember the ltb guy who posted that a really nice like he's one of like the big time originals um and and i remember like being in that discussion and going this is absolute crap um that that's not that's not real data that 95% rubbish like uh, even I think it was Sarah DeSange who actually brought that, you know, data, fake, rubbish, ridiculous concept that 95% of people fail up in her talk. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. She's done that. Um, Considering she is more in the world who's like, you know, for someone who works with people who probably suffer more with restriction mindsets, which leads them to binging. It's cool that she was being balanced. So anyway, like I do think I'm someone who can bring balance to some difficult conversations, which I like. But then there's also this thing that's just become encouraging to me is I, I've started getting like a, a younger following even following me. And I've had, you know, young and old, but like, so yeah, some older guys, like in the, or sort of like, 30s to 40s whatever who maybe don't have children have said to me like what watch like I don't care much for children or or there's so many like messages I can sort of picture in my head now people going I don't really like children but I love watching you with your children it's like heartwarming it's it's wholesome then there's people going I haven't got kids yet me and my girlfriend are sort of discussing it um but watching you makes me want to be a better dad. Mm. And I'm like, I tear up when I read these messages. Like, people are like, really, you care? Like, I genuinely, I'm like, it's so nice to, like, think I could probably make another child's life better because of that. Like, I've sort of mentioned I did a parenting course myself when uh, I think maybe Orly was still a fetus or she was too young to really parent. Um, but you can start, there's no age that you can start too early on like little habits. It's like, if like, I genuinely believe all one of the best, like Sarah always says this to me. She's like, you're so, you're so lucky. And I'm like, I'm not lucky. I made her that way. Um, but she is like the perfect child. Like I was talking, uh, actually to one of them, to my solicitor. And I was just like, all seven now. And in her whole life, she's had one tantrum, like in her whole life. And that tantrum was because it wasn't even tantrum. It was just and I put that tantrum on on Instagram, um, her screaming in the car. And it was because I had she was disappointed in herself. And she was like two and a half years old or something. She was screaming because uh, she felt like she had disappointed me. But. It's just stuff like that. I just think, do you know what? If I can add some value to the world, make the world a better place, but even while I feel uncomfortable because I'm not the world's best parent, definitely not. Um, but I, 
I also do live, and you sort of said this, like I'm the same person on Instagram as I am in real life. And I like to be transparent. I like to be unapologetically myself. I don't mind saying how crappy I was as an as a early nutritionist. I don't mind telling people about my stakes, my shortcomings, um, my faults. Um, it, for whatever reason, I'm blessed. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that as like a, I'm great. Like, why don't I care? And why do some other people like the, maybe it was my early formative years have just given me this thing of like, I have super high self-esteem. I don't feel like it makes me look worse by telling people about my struggles or where I've done wrong. And then you get compliments. Like at this talk, um, Nadia sort of said, it's so powerful having someone like you up on stage saying stuff that you did wrong and mistakes you've made and how you've improved and how you've become more client-focused and whatever. And it's like you get those compliments. It just makes you want to be more that way. So I think that has encouraged me when people have said about the wisdom ones, I did them because I wanted to and I felt kind of led for whatever reason. Talking about gratitude, like gratitude has been a big thing for me. I haven't practiced, actively practiced gratitude for my whole life, really. Or like, but I say that I have, I I talk about this, like I did practice gratitude, I just didn't give it a name. I still remember thanking the universe when I was like a kid like under 10 years old, for how great my life was. I was like, I'm so thankful that people find me funny. I'm so thankful that I find it easy to make friends at that age. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to talk to the kids who are less confident or bullied or whatever. That was me as a kid. And I and I've, I think I've spoken about this elsewhere as well. Like I felt like certain life events have hardened me in different ways and changed me. One of those was my dad dying there's other other instances that have changed me a little bit and I've always after those events tended back towards this thing of like wanting to be someone who wasn't cliquey and would didn't you know was happy to be friends with anyone no matter what their sort of uh, disposition was so I just think yeah that it's it's been nice people have been like and you can even see in stats take away people's comments you see in stats people are listening to those wisdom ones um a lot they're not like the ones that are taking this massive dip i think i'd probably still keep doing them even if they did but you know initially it was like nutrition for children that's a bit of wisdom but there there is nutrition and that's a big big topic that people love but when i start talking about happiness and gratitude and like complexion for men like i just think a lot of this stuff is it isn't discussed and it's something that I'm able to do that other people wouldn't feel comfortable comfortable doing. Like it, it, there's lots of, you know, support for, for females by females for certain different areas and aspects and like body image, mental health, for instance. Like I think it was on, on my podcast with you where I sort of went a, a bit deeper into some of my not like I suppose mental it is mental health but some of my mental struggles and loneliness within the industry way back when and how I wanted to leave the industry and that was kind of again probably the first time I'd done it purposefully or 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 that maybe transparently and um you know being because I just think yeah 
I don't mind doing it. I don't mind, like, whatever you do, you get hate, right? So people might shy away from it. People say it's attention-seeking or people say it's, you know, you're doing, doing it for a reason. But I don't mind that. Like, I've put up with internet hate for a long, long time, but I know how much good it does. So I can sort of deal with that because... Uh, because I have a purpose and that's sort of helping people and using all the gifts I've been given to talk about that stuff. And there's, there's, there's stuff that even now I still am considering doing, but it's also a time issue. Uh, it, you know, that there is only so much time in a day. So I, maybe I'll just chuck it in the not another nutrition podcast and like even stuff like Nadia talked a bit about, um, not sex education, but like um, basically people with poorer body image and engage in more risky sexual activity or sexual behaviours, and people with higher body image are have more are more sex positive. And she, and like I I sort of wanted her to talk more about it because it's an area I'm really interested in terms of relationships. And she was like, if you're more body positive, you're able to ask more for what you want and you can communicate better with your partner so you have a better relationship. And, you know, just like sex being a big part of some people's relationships. And it's kind of a, in in especially British, I feel, culture. We're very repressed. Uh, there's people don't enjoy talking about it. And it's another area where I think males are probably massively underrepresented in a positive mindset. There's a, there's a very negative spin on things. Um, there's lots of stuff for females, lots of the, the sex educators that I follow on Instagram, they're all females catering for females, mostly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, someone who's now influencing younger men, I'm just like, do you know what? I wish I knew certain things Um that would have made me uh, just better all round. Not, I'm not talking like better in bed, like stuff like special tricks. It's not like that. It's more communication. Like understanding communication better makes relationships, friendships, client relationships better all round. So um, that's another thing. Like that, that's the first time I said that publicly. But but I've I, you know I've got big influences in my DMs going. You need to do it. Like it'll be so good. Uh, but I just don't know. I don't know if I'm there yet. I think something else, Martin, that I appreciate about the wisdom episodes I listen to is you, although you said when I initially read out the quote that you'd said about you being uncomfortable, I think it's mm. quite clear that you like to talk about this stuff, about the lessons that you've learned. Mm. And I personally resonate with that a lot because some of the subjects that I most enjoy talking about are the times where I've been in like the darkest hole and <coughs> how I've managed to pull myself out of it. Like mm. when I've had really bad times with self-doubt as a personal trainer. Mm. Um, so I think the topics that you've chosen to talk about and because of the platform that you have and because of the type of personality you are in this industry, I think it makes sense that you talk about them. And if you just spoke about rapid fat loss and keto diets and idiots in the industry, it it would be good. Mm. It would still be good, of course. Mm. But I think there is a place based on the type of person that you are. Even in our first episode, we talked about presenting skills. That's another one, right? Mm. Like that. That that doesn't. And it doesn't quite make perfect sense with nutrition. But based on the yeah. type of person that you are and the educator you are, it does mm. make sense. So I suppose what I'm saying here is, 
I appreciate the wisdom episodes. I know lots of people do too, mm. and you should keep doing them. And if you want to do that yeah. one on the sex episode, <laughs> I would listen to that. So go do it. I, I have a I have a second question on this on this front. Okay. It, do you think more practitioners should talk about non-nutrition and fitness related ideas like you have? Hmm. Oh, good question. Wow. I think, as with any good answer, the pro- the answer is probably it depends. So, I think when I'm when I'm talking in the mentoring lab, I'll say to people like people by people. So, if you're starting out in your career, what what where are you partitioning your time? Um. So if you're out discussing other topics but and you but you don't have enough clients how how well is that time being spent is that useful I don't think anyone should shy away and I do think people should be unapologetically themselves and and I think <clears throat> there's there's more profitable or more bigger markets they could focus on but if they are so passionate about a particular topic their passion will shine through and therefore if it is a related area they might like if it's at least slightly related like i'm thinking like happiness right should should they start posting about happiness like there there is an element of if you are interested in that and you are really big on trying to get your clients happy or you think that's really like just something you've got to speak on that may well attract the type of client that you're wanting to um to work with and it shows some of your personality like i think there is an issue if like you can do whatever you want, like it's your platform, but you just need to have reasons on why you're doing stuff. So the problem is some people can get really involved in social justice stuff. And I like to, but because of who I am, you know, or where, where I am in, in the industry or like I don't need my career to progress any further. I don't need my business to grow anymore. Like my whole podcast is a pure passion project. Uh, it's just because I like to do this stuff. Like that was my whole social media forever. Like it was never as a way to build clients way back in the day. It was just a place for me to talk about the stuff that I would talk in the pub with friends. Mm. Um, I just like talking about this stuff. Um, and, you know, as I've grown up and, and, and my mind has changed, I've still wanted to just speak and, and encourage and and offer difficult conversations sometimes difficult or sometimes positive and encouraging but I think it can take away from your purpose of what you're using your social media for like if you are doing it as a hobby and it's purely a hobby and you don't care and it's somewhere else great go and talk about anything talk about you know, growing vegetables. Like, I don't know if you've seen me taking the mickey out of Billy, but Billy loves gardening. Like, he, it's it's absurd. Like, he he's he was like, I'm going to be in queue to buy some bulbs. And I thought, oh, is it for, like, the office? Is it, you know, he's a bit of, like, the, a bit of the facility manager here in a way. 
I was like, oh yeah, we'll go. We'll, I need to get. I need to walk. I don't. I haven't left the building for six days. And uh, but we got there, and he's buying bulbs like for the garden. So I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And then I'm stood there watching, and he suddenly starts having this massive conversation with this like seventy year old woman. And within minutes, they're like best friends. They're like discussing the types of bulbs they're buying, and I'm like. Oh my goodness! But anyway, you know, if you if you love that as, a, aspect, it's kind of like, would you post that on on a website? If you had a website for your nutrition and personal training services, would you post it there? No. Okay, that's a great thing to do on your stories on Instagram. There's also like a time and a place. It's like, mm. okay, post on your stories. People will get to know the type of person you are. Great. But I also then bring it back to people saying. You also need to remember, people don't really care about your thing. Like once they have bought into you, then they care. So people will say to me, "Came for the nutrition, stayed for the babies. Came for the nutrition, stayed for the humor. Came for the nutrition, stayed for the triceps. What you know, whatever the 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 same as is. same as we hear at LTB. Came for the education, stayed for the community. Community, exactly, yeah. exactly. So." It's often the things you, like in business you can't sell. Like it, it, it's just like yeah, the thing that they sell is like I'm going to be a better personal trainer. I'm going to have a better career because of LTB. But you can't sell community because it's just anyone could brandish that word around. It's not until you've been in LTB that you realise how brilliant it is. Um, so I think that's the and the the thing I say to people is. You will lose people if you just post gardening content all the time. Like you do need to stay true to your core message of the why that people will follow you. If I only posted tricep content, I would lose ninety percent or fifty percent, whatever, of my followers. If I only posted baby content, I'd lose fifty percent of my followers. You, you still have to have some element of. I mean, to be honest, I I almost never post nutrition content now. But again, it's understanding that. I don't really care if I do or don't. You know, I'd love to have millions and millions of followers because I do think I've got positive things to say. I affect people positively, um, but it, I don't have any need for it. Um, so I'm not someone who should necessarily copy. So it, I've, it's a crappy answer to be honest to what you've asked. Can, can I just jump I, in? I, I don't think it is on. though because I okay. I think what if I'm reading between the lines and I'm thinking about this and the way my brain works best is if I think of things in like analogies. So when you're talking, I'm like, at the start you said you have to think in terms of your priorities, right? So you have only so much time that you can invest into the activities yeah. that may help you grow your business or move your career forwards. And if you're trying to build things up and all of the percentage of your content out there is on this kind of passion project, self-development, other lifey stuff, you might you might end up being like a nice personality for people, but you're probably not mm. going to bring people into your PT or nutrition coaching business. Yeah. But you very much said, and I love that you repeat this because it always needs to be repeated about people buying people, right? So I, I think if I was if I was not doing any of that at all as a trainer or nutrition coach just now, it might be quite nice to start to sprinkle in. And I know myself on LTB's page, I could probably do with sprinkling a little bit more of me into things. Anytime I do that, we get a good reception. <coughs> People would probably like to know a little bit more about 
my mm. son and my life and my struggles and things. Yeah. So I suppose it's like a it's a percentage or a buckets thing, right? You've got yeah. these different. You talk about nutrition, wisdom, other things. Your kids, triceps. You have these different buckets that you select content mm. from, and. If you were trying to build your business up, you might spend more of the time in the nutrition stuff, yeah. whereas you're not actually trying to do that just now. Is that a fair summary? That's a, uh, an absolutely fantastic summary. Yeah, so thanks very much for making my question sound much better than it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, well, well, we'll shift gears again here because I, I have another question that I'm very interested mm. in your perspective on and I'm, I'm mindful of our, our time here. So... You've talking, you've spoken about this on your podcast and on Instagram. However, I would love you to talk about it on our podcast now. So BMI continues to be one of the most controversial measurements in fitness. At one extreme, you have doctors who base major medical decisions on it to the exclusion of all else. The other end, you have others who claim that it has no relationship at all with health. And this includes personal trainers who strongly de-emphasize it due to its inability to account for muscle mass. What does the research actually say about the relationship between BMI and health? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's such a big topic. Um, and the, you know what? This is, a, this is another thing. I'm just trying to think if it was actually discussed in depth. Um, maybe not. So just so people are aware, like non-diet approaches is basically when we're essentially not focusing specifically on weight loss for health. So, for instance, intuitive eating, it, in, I, I should say like intuitive eating TM, although they haven't got it trademarked, which does annoy me when the intuitive eating crowd, like you'll see someone say, you know, I'm eating intuitively, and you'll get people jumping on the, no, you're not, you don't know what intuitive eating is. Intuitive eating is a very specific thing, 10 steps this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they don't own the word intuitive. I can use, I can say I'm doing anything intuitively, and no one can tell me it's not intuitive, um, as long as it's, you know, based on the dictionary definition of intuitive. You don't own these 10 steps. It's not even trademarked. But... When we talk about intuitive eating, it is, you know, TM, it, it is a specific process that we're going through and it's not focused on weight loss and it's much more around improving people's relationship with food. Now, some people undertake an intuitive eating program, intervention, and gain weight and they get healthier in, in many ways simply through psychologically the damage it was doing to them and socially the damage... Uh, it was doing to them. Um, but likewise, the longer term benefits is it, it then kind of a bit of a, it curves in that they maybe their binge episodes reduce and long term they end up losing some weight because realistically we know how much a binge, quote unquote binge, can do with regards to energy balance versus, you know, 500 calorie deficit. But then if you can binge on 8,000 calories, you know, you, it's like 16, it's like 16 step forwards <coughs> taking you 16 days, but then you can, in one day, you take 16 steps back. Um, so, <coughs> sorry. So, um, non-diet approaches, like this idea that your weight is the key factor in your health is so misguided 
and unfortunate. And it is something that needs to be tackled. More than anything in medical situations, I think. You know, people complain about insurance companies, you know, BMI. Oh, I'm, I'm high on the BMI. Like, I think I'm almost obese on the, on the BMI scale. Uh, I think I'm about, say, 28. So I'm in the upper end of overweight. And obviously, therefore, if it, you're getting health insurance, it's like, oh, you're overweight, therefore you can be more unhealthy. But if you plot BMI um, on a scale, it's not the higher your BMI, the more unhealthy you get. It's one factor. And yes, personal trainers play it down way too much because it's like, oh, you know, I've got muscle mass, therefore, you know, Johnny Wilkinson's 33, Arnold was this, whatever. Forget that. If we're talking about gen pop individuals, not flipping... You know, Athletes. I don't want to. I don't want to slander Johnny Wilkinson, but Arnold definitely admits to steroid use. It's like these people are super jacked and probably using steroids, or definitely using steroids. It, they're not who we're comparing it to. But BMI does work as one thing for us to to have in a myri- you know myriad of different things we can take into account. So, you know, one of these. Instagram blue tick gimp doctors that I don't like who who has basically gone all diets are bad for people you know UK based gimp that everyone's like oh he's so nice he's so evidence based like he's not he's a chump he he's essentially admitted when he was a you know I think he's I don't even know if he's fully qualified yet but when he was a whatever trainee doctor whatever it is level one five years in he literally saw people as numbers on a scale and he saw BMI and that's all he, you know, he's admitted to this. And now he's like, and now I would never, ever, ever tell anyone to intentionally lose weight. And I'm like, cool. So you went from being a moron to a moron. Like you've not learned from your mistakes. You were an idiot at this end of the scale and now you're an idiot at this end of the scale. It's, it's a factor that we can take into account. How about having a conversation with a human? Are they ready to undertake intentional weight loss? Does their BMI actually match up with? Like, and just to say this, like BMI is heavily involved in the whole conversation around weight stigma. Like we have people going in to doctor's surgeries going, I've got pain in my back. And the doctor going, you're fat, lose weight, and the pain will go away. They come back. I really, it's really not normal. My, I've got really bad, This it doesn't feel normal, it doesn't feel like joints, I don't think it's to do with my weight, I've been this weight for a long time, it's your weight, you're fat, lose weight, then come back, and then this person dying of a tumour in their spine, like, that's a real case study, that was a real doctor, that's really happening, that's disgusting that that happens, but all that doctor saw was that patient's weight, so therefore, we have to have these conversations because that's inappropriate. That shouldn't be happening. No one should be being reduced down to that level. But to go BMI is completely useless. We can plot these things on a graph. And in general, because, of, because you, you don't, we should take loads of other factors into account. And this is, I'm, I'm sure this was posted in LTB in the last few years, just about the benefits of exercise 
outside of weight loss. Like I, I even included a slide in my presentation around leptin sensitivity. Like leptin resistance is, is a super interesting area. Um, like it, we've got a long way to go with it. it like I, I, I'm not strong enough on the, the biochemistry and the physiology of it to, to really pin it down. But I, I don't think the information is out there for me to learn. But we know that there's this impact of exercise on, on leptin resistance. And leptin is so important in the regulation of appetite and energy expenditure. It's one of these sort of master regulators. But we know that you don't have to lose weight for exercise to benefit your health, health massively. So the problem again is we get exercise being reduced to calories. Like how, many, how much jogging or steps or whatever do I need to do to burn off a donut? Like, and it's just not necessarily a very helpful conversation because how about we discuss how much your health is going to benefit from X, Y, Z method and duration of exercise based on your health. Like, you don't need to lose weight to get healthy. If you get someone's diet spot on, and whatever that means, you know, hopefully people are okay with me using that term because there's no perfect diet, of course, but there are some real obvious, you know, someone DM'd me the other day. I've, I've just got pregnant, I think. What's the best diet for a pregnant woman? I was like, oh, like, man, where do I start? Like, I, I've, you know, they probably just clicked the follow button. They just have never interacted with me. I'm just like, how can I help you? Like, go and binge my podcast. Go and read every post I've ever done. Like, because there's no, I can't, like, it's so... The word isn't reductionist, but it's what I want to use. But it's just like, oh, cool, this is... And so I just sort of said, you know, I just sort of gave a real brief overview around whole foods and just, you know, like, I feel like if we can just get rid of science and the media and stuff, like, just eat well. Like, most people sort of know it. Like, oh, okay, so should I cut out? No, shut up. That's the media doing that to you. Eat well. Like, okay, was there anything bad? Stop thinking about bad. Like, what's a good food? I don't know, an apple? Great start. Well done. What else? Um, the problem is, is that they go, oh, but I heard potatoes are, are a white food or, you know, whatever. And it's like, right. But do, do you think potatoes are natural? Yeah. Cool. Knock yourself out. Have some potato. What else? You know, it's like people can probably pick wholesome foods, right? Whole, you know, whole foods. Whole, I think wholesome is a good word. Um, so, so if you get someone's diet on point, if you get them moving and active and exercising, um, if you correct any deficiencies, you know, that's a big one. It's like, okay, cool. Like vitamin D is a big um issue with with people having low vitamin d levels and it's very difficult to get from food so let's correct that um and any other deficiencies they might have because of the way they they eat straight away and then let's get someone's sleep sorted like you measure the same markers that are, that are being linked to bmi like cholesterol levels triglycerides blood glucose control all of a sudden those things improve significantly and yes, maybe in some instances <coughs> there are um, they're still not where they we would maybe like them to be. And this is the discussion around, okay, if someone has dieted a hundred times 
and has never managed to maintain their weight loss. And they are ending up with more disordered eating and worse body image and blah, blah, blah. What's better for us to do? Put them on another diet to get their BMI down or talk about some non-diet, non-calorie deficit lifestyle changes that we know evidence-based research shows us we can improve their health and, you know, morbidities and, and, you know, reduce their risk of mortality across the board. So it's, it's when we just focus on BMI is the only thing that, that matters is we come into issues. But, but, you know, being laughable and going body weight doesn't matter. You can, and people also, this is why I like to have these difficult conversations. Like people like, because you've got to remember most people are stupid, Right. So you go on Instagram, of course, you're going to find someone using the hashtag weight stigma, hashtag health at every size, saying stupid stuff. But go and find someone in those circles who's the me, the balanced person. I know I'm sort of bigging myself up a bit there, but go and go and listen to to someone like Helen West. Like she's class. You'll learn so much from her. And you've got this situation of going, what really is health at every size? Like, don't go and listen to some stupid celebrity talking about it. You wouldn't listen to a stupid celebrity on listen, talking about weight loss. So why are you listening to some stupid celebrity, uh, you know, reality TV person talking about, you know, weight stigma or health at every size or, or body image? Like, there is, there, there are, and, and at, Nadia made this nice point of, she gets accused of not, like, oh, so you, so you think people can love themselves at every size? Oh, so you don't give a crap about health, no? It's like, wow, that's, that's what you think. That's how ridiculous you are as a human. But that's what humans do. If I go calories matter, people go, oh, cool, so it doesn't matter what I eat. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Like, why are you choosing to be stupid? Like, because they are. They just want to argue. They just want to win an argument. And so it's this whole thing of like, no, someone should not be ashamed of how they look because we know shame isn't a good motivator for change so it's like you should be able to love yourself and and move from a place of love because you can still love yourself and want to change those two aren't also aren't a uh, you don't we don't need to create a false dichotomy there either um but you know understanding the health at every size movement is fantastic in its core which is choosing healthy behaviors no matter what your size so you're you're and this is i talked about this in my tour in 2019 and my whole tour ended up being about this was if you believe every client you work with can get to a bmi within 20 and 25 you know forget muscle mass and stay there lifelong and be healthy you're wrong and I, I hope every LTB personal trainer and, and, and personal trainers worldwide who, who listen to your podcast hear that and go, oh, like, well, even if they do my behavior change stuff and we use healthy habits and they eat some protein and vegetables, they do it the right way. No, they can't. Like, it's not a thing. You, the research doesn't support that. It's not a thing. And people go, well, I've, I've had clients, all my clients have managed to do it. Cool. How long have you been a personal trainer? Two years. Cool. Give it five. Like, it doesn't happen for everyone. And maybe you're not working with a clientele who's starting at a body weight, where if we look at, like, metabolic, metabolic adaptation and the, the way body defends a sort of set point and the way the body defends body weight downwards much more than it defends body weight upwards... 
we get a situation of people have to live in what's called a weight-reduced state. You never, potentially, never, the, the evidence doesn't show us this, um, we haven't got good evidence, but currently the evidence suggests that you're always in a weight-reduced state. So your body always remembers being the heavier body. So it's always trying to go back there. So you need to live with lifelong new habits and potentially lifelong hunger. And that sounds kind of quite terrible, but it's not, it's not necessarily terrible. To be in a certain state. So therefore maybe existing somewhere in the middle ground. And this is what I talked about in my Compassionate Approaches talk was maybe let's focus on the 5% first and try living at 5% weight reduced to begin with because we know there's clinical benefits to 5% weight loss. And then let's go to to 10% and, and, and be reflective. What's your libido? What's your um, uh, hunger like? What's your energy levels like? What's your social life like? What, how's your happiness at 10% weight reduced? Can you maintain 10% weight reduced quite effortlessly without being ridiculously meticulous, not attending social events, not having a life, not enjoying life? Because life should be about enjoying, not living and looking a certain way because you think it's going to help you fit in better with society. Um, and therefore... When we do that, we can start to go, okay, where, where is appropriate for this person to sit? Is it necessarily 20 to 25 or are all their health markers healthy? Because this, that, that, this would be my final point is BMI, if, so, if all of someone's health markers are healthy, you have no way, like blood glucose is perfect, HbA1c is perfect, you know, cholesterol levels are perfect, triglyceride levels are perfect, like all of this stuff, but their BMI is not in this range that we deem healthy. There are people out there who go, you're unhealthy, you need to lose weight. That's a big flipping issue. Like, there's nothing you can tell me that means you're going to get cancer because I'm that. And, you know, there was this whole uh, thing about, you know, obesity causes cancer or something horrible like that. Um, You know, big publicity campaign that's not helping anyone. Um, When there's, you know... We have, it's not this linear positive correlation as weight goes up, you are going to get more likely to get cancer. Like we have some correlation there, but we also have people who are, you know, what is it? Fit, but fat, fat, but healthy, like using, not using fat in a pejorative way, but they have higher levels of body fat Um, and they are healthy. And we need to stop seeing them. And as well, a good a good message for all personal trainers, nutritionists, whoever, is also not to put words in clients' mouth like, "Oh, you want to work with me? Oh, I'd like help with my nutrition. Cool. We're gonna we're gonna increase your protein. You know that'll help with your body fat." Like before they've even mentioned that that's one of their goals. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. Like I have a hundred percent been there. I one hundred percent was that nutritionist in in my early career. Um, and that's why these conversations are brilliant. That's why the industry moving on that I've had so many compliments about the topics that we chose for our conference because people are like no one else is doing conferences like this. No one else in the fitness space, you know, health and nutrition space. Like you have to go f- so further afield to find these discussions. And often they're a bit 
judgmental of us as personal trainers and nutritionists and dietitians. So, um, you know, be, I'm not saying it judgmentally. It's like I, I wish I had someone positively influencing me in that way in my early career, but I didn't. The people who were big in my early career were crappy in many ways. Uh, and so I had to learn the hard way and I want to help people not have to learn in that way and, and be more of a positive early start in their career. I think, I think Martin, that's a, a great place to wrap it up um, because yeah. we're, we're, over, we're over the hour mark. Oh, goodness. I know. It's, a, it's amazing when you have these kind of conversations. They just fly by. Um, <coughs> is there anything that you would like to finish by saying, you know the LTB audience mm. really well. Is there anything you would like to just throw in as a kind of final thought? Oh, goodness me. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think that all of these discussions that we've had today have been, I mean, it's really cool. It's always, your question's always good and they bring out a bit more. I like it. I feel like I can be even more myself, just go around the houses and just give these, like kind of quite in depth, but also broader answers that are not just, not just the depth, but the breadth and, and my thinking around different things. So, um, I, I like that there's some of these challenging conversations. There's the ability to, I, I said in the office, this literally might have been yesterday, but often the thing that I love about doing like an Instagram live or a Facebook live or a, or a podcast is you can say quite challenging, uh, quote unquote, mean things, but they're never mean about, you know, I, I've not even named that doctor, but I'm sure lots of people know who it is. Um, but I'm not, I don't go to say, you know, as a personal trainer, you're rubbish. As a nutritionist, you're rubbish if you're this way. Because people can almost hear those words and then they're just in the shower. They just haven't sat down eating some food on their own. And they sort of mull them over and go, I've been personally challenged by that. And actually I'm going to start on my journey of maybe adapting how I talk to clients how I view clients how I whatever you know if you know if I was sat in a small group of individuals and said put your hands up if you only ever use moderate deficits and then I'm like you you know if you were really evidence-based you should be using rapid everyone's like I want to argue with you I, I want to sort of defend my status quo um and I think you, I've seen you use this term quite a lot, and I, I really like it in terms of unconditional positive regard. I think in in the LTB group, um, you know, you see that shine through, and it 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 generates a much better um, environment for change when you don't go and attack people. Like I follow an amazing. Uh, Instagram page called the Tin Men and it's all about um, it's like a male social justice movement something or other about men's issues male suicide all this kind of stuff and they they literally are the best account on Instagram for something that's outside like that that's going to be my thing if people want to go and look at that page like 
they're quite a small page, but they're absolutely phenomenal in how balanced they are. And they, but they'll do the occasional post and go, don't, don't attack people in the comments of my posts. Like, don't, that's not how you get people to hear these messages and to change and to learn. Like, learning doesn't happen in an argument. Like, uh, these, these aren't necessarily, we're not talking stats. This isn't nutrition. This is like people's feelings and social justice and, and like really important topics of, you know, suicide and mental health and whatever, gender pay gaps, like all this kind of stuff. Um, don't attack people. Like, let them listen, have polite discourse. And I just feel like this podcast like this help that of people can just hear it. They don't necessarily have to feel judged or like it's the fingers pointed at them, but they can go away and go, do you know what? And I probably have been a bit reactive towards the health at every size crowd, the intuitive eating crowd. Like, yeah, when I first saw that, I actually did a post. Like, we had some MNU students when there was a whole discussion around, is obesity a disease? People are like, no, it's not a disease. Like, personal choice, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Like, why? You, you are absolutely clueless on this topic. Like, go, why have you posted on the same day as the headline? And then I'll see, like, Spence and Nadolsky do, like, an amazing post, and I'll share it just because I don't want to go and tell them you're an idiot. So I just share his thing because I know they'll see it. And then, but then, because they're good people generally, they'll go and go, I spoke too soon on this topic. Because um, it is challenging, like, that we do have these gut personal reactions to certain bits of information. How can obesity be a disease? No, if you just eat better, blah, 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 until you actually really understand what a disease is and how these things are. Um, uh, you know, actual real definitions, like agreed definitions of, of conditions. So I haven't really got a, a take home. I just think it's just like, I hope people have enjoyed it and uh, just being sort of open to learning and being challenged by these topics and just going on your own journey. Just start, click follow on one account on a, on a topic and just, you know, continue to grow as a practitioner because of that. Well, I really appreciate everything you're doing for the industry. I appreciate the work you're putting into your podcast. Please keep doing that. Thank you very Thanks. much for your time today, Martin. And I'd love to have you on um, back again in the future. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again.